0: turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 to 33. It's also printed on page 8 in your bulletins and we're very excited to begin this uh, series with you. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And this is God's Word. Why are we doing a series on marriage? We're doing a series on marriage because we live in a time that disregards most of what the Bible says, that disregards most of even what history says in our generation, especially what they teach about marriage. And so we're really disregarding thousands of years of wisdom, let alone thousands of years of what God has said and has spoken to his people. And so we need to at least consider it. We need to at least look into it. We need to relearn these things. We need a biblical framework, a biblical understanding of marriage. Now, a lot of scholars, a lot of ministers, they begin with the foundations of marriage, and they talk about commitment and covenant, and they talk about priority, and they talk about all these things. But I'm going to really start and submit to you that marriage begins as a friendship. What is marriage? What is friendship? There are four things we're going to look into today. Our perspective on marriage, the problems with marriage, problems with friendship inevitably, uh, the practice the practice of friendship or marriage, the power to be that kind of friend, the power to be that kind of spouse. We're going to look at our perspective on marriage as friendship, the problems of marriage as friendship, the practice of marriage as friendship, and lastly, the power, the power to be that kind of friend to that, the power to be that kind of spouse. First, we're going to look at the perspective, the vision of marriage. Marriage revolves around a vision. You got to have a plan. You got to have an end point. What do you see? You see future glory. That's what you see in this text, the future glory for what both a husband and a wife can become in Christ. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make, to make her holy, to present her to himself as a radiant church. Paul's saying, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what we just looked at, the passage prior to this. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian, you grow in a humble wisdom. You grow in a joy. But you also grow in submission. That's what we said. And that submission plays itself out in all of your relationships, thus the meaning of the church. It plays itself out in all the relationships. It plays itself out in marriage. In marriage, you catch a vision. You catch a vision of that perfect, radiant person, that perfect, radiant being that God wants us to be. And so verse 25, you love that person. You sacrifice, you give them yourself up for that person. In other words, you're committed. With your life, you are committed to that person. This is the way all Christian friendships, inevitably, all Christian friendships are called to be that. In true friendship, what is a true friend? In a real friendship, you get a vision of the radiance of that person. Once they're free from all their flaws, once they're free from all their sins, once they're free from all their weaknesses, this is what makes them beautiful. You see? This is their glory. That's real friendship. That's true friendship. And marriage, that's true friendship. That's true marriage. Paul says, husbands, love your wives. It's really just a a lifetime of seeing all this through. Now, it's also why today relationships don't last friendships don't even last today and it's because you lack vision we lack vision so really our friendships are temporary our friendships are in this moment our friendships we live in a very transient society and so people are constantly coming into a city together and then they leave the city People are coming into the city, and they well out to the suburbs. And so these friendships that we forge, whether it's in college, in grad school, in our careers, they're really just there to fulfill a temporary need. You don't look at it that way. I'm not saying that it's intentionally that way. You don't look at it that way. You think, oh, this is a good friend of mine. But really, they're just there to fulfill a temporary need. And so friendships are just social. They're just casual. And you know this because when a friendship disappoints you, you're out. You walk away. The true horizon of friendship, it requires a deep, lifelong commitment. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be angry. You're going to be really mad at times. But if you want to be a good husband, if you want to be a good wife, you need to first learn to be a godly, biblical, gracious friend. You need to practice love. You need to practice commitment because you're so hopeful for that person that you see today is really in a mere cocoon versus the beautiful butterfly that's going to emerge there's a sense of really knowing that future glory you see it before that person see it sees it you know it before that person comes to know it and you're known by a person who sees that of you vision that's the first point the perspective of marriage that's the trajectory of marriage now, what kills that? What, what are the problems with that? Uh, we're going to get right to this for the sake of time, but there are a lot of things that kill the potential of marriage in our, in our culture, in our community today. And there, there are actually things that prevent good friendships from developing, good, meaningful friendships. So I'm just going to kind of walk us through this. First, we focus too much on the attractiveness of the person and the friendship of the person second. Attractiveness comes first above friendship. The Bible actually says beauty is vain, charm is fleeting. The problem is that if marriage is about friendship first, why are we looking at sexual attractiveness first? We're focusing on the spark we're focusing on uh, and as a result what we end up doing is we end up ruling out most people around us simply because they lack a certain type of criteria, a certain criteria. They're not good looking enough, their figure, their build, their intelligence, none of which helps us. None of those things help you to be a better spouse. None of those things helps you even to be a better friend. Your intelligence actually hurts friendship. The Bible, when you look at the word intelligence in the Bible, the Bible has very, very few good things to say about a person's intelligence. We rely too much on it. The Bible says almost nothing good, virtually very few things good about a person's attractiveness. Those things have a way of tearing down relationships, honest, good relationships. None of those things are important. We look for people that we're attracted to sexually sexually. And what we do is we say, I need to make that person my friend instead of looking at friends because of their character, because they get you, they know you, because they have courage to speak to you, because they're balanced, because they're wise. Now, to share a common vision, verse 27, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain without wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul's saying you're not there. Paul's saying God is doing an amazing work in you right now. As a church, as a body, right now full of flaws, we look at the flaws and we walk away. That's what we do. Our church is full of hypocrites. These people are they are just all hypocrites. They're all fake. And we walk away. But love says, I We'll view them, the future them, the future glory of the person, holy and blameless. We're going to gaze on that future glory, that future beauty, the new self. In fact, the last couple chapters, in fact, the last month we've been talking about putting off the old self, putting on the new self. So you see the flow of this is that as you're practicing these things as a church, as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you become a Christian Christian. What happens is what? You start to view each other and you gaze on each other, the future glory of one another, instead of dwelling on the current flaws, the present flaws. One of the things we focus on too much is the attractiveness of the person today, and it's fleeting and it's vain. The second thing is selfishness. In friendship, there are many, many days. Every one of us here is good friends. There are many days when the future glory of the person is overshadowed by the the person's today qualities, the person's today attitude, their today personality. Both of you, the reality is that both of you are like metal ores, and that means you're raw. As polished as you may look today, you're raw, and it's rough. You're rough around the edges. What does God do? God gives you marriage. God gives you friendship as a crucible. Marriage is the most intense version. The heat is the highest in marriage. The intensity and the pressure, are the highest, the greatest in marriage. But God provides you with friends like a crucible, a furnace where these two metal ores are put in. And what happens is that intensity, there's the heat, there's the intensity, there are the sparks. And the impurities in that ore, the mess falls off until what? Only the beauty remains. Only the ore, only the gold remains. Now, uh, what that means if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian and uh, you see the impurities, you see the flaws, and you see the sparks, and you see the intensity, if it's great enough, if the heat is great enough, what you end up saying is, you know what, I, you wake up and you say, I can do better. Now, I know this is difficult to hear, but this is why you can't have this with somebody who is not a believer. Dear friends, I know that the scene out there is tough. It can be. But you're never going to be able to demonstrate, you're never going to be able to receive this type of commitment unless God enters in. You don't have that kind of commitment until God enters in, you see. And until then, you are depriving each other you are compromising, you are manipulating each other, you are compromising with each other, you are exploiting each other because you have different visions. The end point is different. You see that? Think about this. If you're with, if you're with a non believer, that person does not have a biblical picture of the radiant beauty, the future glory that is assured because there is no future glory. You're just two sets of chemicals that have come together, collided by chance through some evolutionary cycle to become life. And so there is no destiny. There is no assurance of meaning. There is no assurance of purpose. When two Christians come together, there's meaning, there's purpose. What is that? Verse 26, to make us holy. Verse 27, to present her as radiant. Why do we lack commitment? Why do we lack love? It's our selfishness. Paul is saying that when you take the gospel into your heart, it so becomes your reality that you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you become submissive as a result. You become unselfish. The mark of a Christian is the same thing as the mark of a true friend. They become less selfish. You desire to serve, whereas before you desire to be served. You desire to pursue their advancement. I desire to pursue your advancement at my cost. When, it was bef- when before it was, I was going to pursue my advancement sometime at your cost. That means you're going to give up your rights instead of saying, I have rights. You're going to give up your entitlement when, you usually, when you're used to saying, I have entitlement. You're going to give up your needs when before you used to say, I have my needs. What about my needs? Not doing that will erode friendship and it will eat away at any marriage. The best of marriages. The gospel, if you want to sum it up, practically lived out in the church, practically lived out among your friends, practically lived out in your marriage is this. Your sin is greater than I ever imagined. The more I get to know you, the more sinful you are. So my love needs to be greater than you ever dreamed. That's the gospel. Third thing that kills a marriage and kills a friendship is that you exploit the blessings of it. You just exploit it. Look, in Genesis, when God created humans, when God created humans, he divided up his own attributes between men and women. And as a result, men and women are different. Let's face it, they're different. Adam meets Eve, and and when Adam met Eve, what he says is this it's really the first poem in the entire Bible, and it's the first song. When Adam met Eve, he burst into song. He said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know what he's saying? Now I am complete. It's almost as if I thought I was complete, but it's almost as if I found some lost, missing part of myself, right? Because Eve was taken out of Adam. He says, now I'm complete. This is why we crave this type of friendship across genders and there's not anything entirely wrong with that it's natural it's the way we've been designed we're designed to be made complete with a member of the opposite gender but it's why we crave this across genders it's very natural the problem is sometimes we try to find that completion without the commitment that comes with marriage and that's why you see today in our society a rise of cohabiting together living together before you get married it's a the modern way of talking about love is is this it's a feeling i feel this for you it's very intense it's never going to go away and that may be true there is nothing to say that there are good marriages out there being lived out but what i'm saying is it's a series of compromises it's a series of manipulations it's a series of ultimately exploitations it's a series of giving up to get to receive as well right But that's not what the bible ever means it's never a feeling it's why the biblical view of marriage is actually scary it's incredibly scary and it's impossible unless the gospel has come in because biblical love biblical love by definition is a lifelong commitment that is assured in christ's commitment to his people it has been signed in his blood so there's this exclusivity in marriage. There's this permanence in friendship. You only see it in the deepest of your friendships. And, and it's, we're built really in a way where the only safe place, the only truly safe place that you can really have that kind of relationship in completion is in your marriage. That kind of commitment we call covenantal. Friendships are covenantal. And the most intense, most assured friendship that demonstrates this quality of relationship is marriage. What is the meaning of a covenant? A covenant goes like this a covenant is a permanent, exclusive, life bound, love bound, legally bound commitment. It's not perfect, it's not failure proof. It's not. It's about as failure proof as you're gonna get. But it's also why when you break it, there are devastating consequences legally and in your love life and in your life and in your sense of permanence. And it just destroys every dimension in many ways. It's so rooted into our character and so rooted into our promises that breaking it is devastating. Now, what are some ways that we look for the thrill of this type of relationship, the blessings of this type of relationship without upholding the responsibility of this type of relationship. I have a couple for you. One, uh, uh, when you have a deep oneness but you refuse to try to move into romance, that's probably a lot of us here. When you're already sensing a deep oneness but you're refusing to move into that romance, you don't wanna hurt the friendship, right? For whatever reason, there may be many reasons, you're actually depriving the other person of a potential deeper sense of completion than friendship because you're selfish, because of your fears. You're relying on your ability. You're relying on that person's ability. You're relying more on today. You're not thinking about the future glory. Okay, that's one. Two, when you enter a sexual relationship with somebody without a legal commitment to that person. Now, for a moment, it's gonna feel right. For a while, it's gonna feel great. Uh, It's going to feel complete. You're going to feel more attached. There's a sense of oneness. But it's devastating. You actually end up lonelier. And you ultimately are going to feel more detached without that legal commitment. Third, you know, when two people of the same sex, they try to get that type of decompletion through a sexual relationship. Look, I just told you that God... designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, that he had taken his attributes and pretty much divided and distributed his attributes between men and women. And so what happens is, you know, to reflect his image, now when Adam sings, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, what he's saying is, now I see who I'm meant to be. Now I see, because I know you, because I see you, I see myself better. I know myself in completion. And God had designed this in a complementary way between a man and a woman. In fact, you see way in the beginning, in the story of creation, God said, male and female, he created them. Let us make them in our image. That's what he says. You see, And so, uh, you know, when you really meet somebody of the opposite gender, you say, you complete me, right? Jerry Maguire, you complete me. There's this complementary relationship in the Bible where you can't get that same sense of completion from from the same sex as designed between a man and a woman. The Wall Street Journal recently updated their research in noting that same-sex marriages statistically end up in divorce at a higher rate than heterosexual marriages, regardless of faith, regardless of religion, regardless of belief system. Now they have enough sample data to say that it's actually quite higher, right? And they have their reasons and explain in much ways they're coming to similar conclusions. You can't have the same sense of completion because it wasn't designed to be complete. It wasn't designed to make you complete. Now, if you're single, what do you do? You got to maintain good friendships, you got to maintain healthy, opposite-gender friendships. You know that age-old question, can men and women really be friends? The answer is yes. The problem is all those things that I mentioned in the, in the, in the prior point, right? We're selfish. We're, we're, we're not looking at them with that future glory, you see? We're exploiting the blessings without the intent to serve and to give and to practice grace, uh, to practice and demonstrate grace. So if you have several healthy friendships like this, how do you know the one? Now, a lot of people say, well, it's based, it's based on your attraction. It's based on their looks, based on your preferences, based on your desires. And there, it's not less than that. It's certainly not less than that. There's so much more than that. Because most of the time, your musical interests aren't going to get you through a marriage at the end of the day. We all know that. Most of the time, your movie interests, your book interests, you know, whatever types of hobbies you have are not going to get you through a marriage like that. No got to talk to one another you got to start with talking to one another you got to talk more with one another you got to talk regularly with one another this is friends by the way all the more in a marriage all the more you got to spend time together you got to make deliberate intentional time don't use your kids as an excuse don't use your work as an excuse you are not married to your job that is not a covenantal relationship If you are more married to your job functionally than your wife, you need to leave that job. You need to divorce that job, and you need to stay married to your wife. You need to stay married to your husband. Okay, can I talk to you like a pastor a little bit? you got to spend time together. you got to talk to one another. You have to determine a few things. I'm going to give you exactly what you need to think about, okay? Number one, do we have a common vision and perspective of marriage? Another way of asking that question is this: Are we committed to each other for life as friends? Opposite gender, committed to each other for life as friends. Number two: Does that person explicitly and implicitly address my selfishness? Do they have great insight into what God wants me to be? Do they remind me of the gospel? What it means to be in Christ. And can I do the same for them? For life. And does it excite you? Does it bring you joy to do that? Are you excited about that prospect? Now, there are people here who are married who say, Wow, I, I'm married, and I never got married with this in mind. What do I do? We never discuss these kind of things. I've never talked about these kind of things with my spouse before. It's never too late, okay? You need to commit. In order to have a wonderful marriage, you need to commit today, I'm going to make this person my friend. Don't just say they're your best friend, okay? Make them your best friend. Verse 26, to make her holy. And so you're going to develop You're going to realign a common vision that my desire and my place and my purpose here is to make you holy and blameless. And your vision and your purpose is to make me holy and blameless because you see things that I don't see. You know that phrase, I wash your back, you wash mine, you can't see your back. But they see it perfectly, right? That's how it works, right? They know exactly what you need. You need to listen to them. You need to submit to one another. You see that that friend completes you what is a friend how do you practice friendship i'm going to give you some practical things here based largely here in this text what is a friend how does a friend make you holy verse 26 by cleansing by washing with water through the word Verse 28 and 29, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it, cares for it. There's a cleansing on one hand. There's a feeding and a caring on the other hand, you see. Unless you have both, you're not going to be good friends. On one hand, think about this. What does it mean to clean your body? Okay? It's going to sound a little crass. What does it mean to clean your body? You've got to brush your teeth. You gotta go to the bathroom, which means that you have to release, right? You have to excrete, you gotta wipe, right? You gotta do that, you gotta clean, you gotta wipe, right? You gotta deal with your skin. You know, it's a very, uh, you gotta deal with your skin, all the stuff that you do to your face right, in the morning, because there's tons of blemishes, tons of flaws that I certainly don't see today here with you. Everyone looks radiant. Everyone looks beautiful, right? But you know, and you're going to go into the, uh, into, uh, what is it called, a vanity mirror. You do all that, and you're going to do all your, the, your work there, right? Uh, you're going to shower. You're going to bathe. You're going to cleanse. In other words, cleaning is the most private thing that you could ever do in your life. Think about it. P- cleaning yourself is the most private thing that you will ever do. What's the Bible saying? A few things. One, friends, true friends, give each other access to those private areas. They see it, they help you clean. They see it better than you. You know, when you have that I I used to my face, I used to break out like once in a while, right? When I break out, I don't like get like tons of You know, pimples and sits. I get that one. And that one that is like excruciatingly painful and red. And it shows up in that most visible spot. It's like here or here or here. It's like depending on, you know, and I used to get it, and I still get it. I'm 44 and I'm just going through puberty right now. I mean, I I feel it, I see it, you know? And the thing is, I hate when I'm talking to somebody and you're so conscious of that thing. Because first of all, it's like, it's got its own heartbeat, right? And You're talking to somebody and they're looking at you, but they're actually looking at that pimple. I hate that, and it makes you so self-conscious. And it happens, right? They're like, they're looking at you. If this, they're, they're like, yes, you know, mm mm-hmm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, right? That's how they are, right? Um, the the uh, where was I? <laughs> um, it, where was I? <laughs> Friends are going to give each other access. They're going to see. Uh, <laughs> they're going to see things better than you. They're going to. Uh, you got to submit to your friends. you got to submit uh, your fears, that means. you got to submit your insecurity. you got to submit your pride because we don't like to show. We try to, you know, I just discovered I've been married almost nine years and I just discovered the glory of cover-up. You know, I thought it was lipstick. My wife takes out this thing. I thought it was lipstick. I said, that's kind of like, that's a weird shade of lipstick. And she puts it on her face. I'm like, what are you doing? And like, hey i don't see the zit anymore i don't see the pimple anymore so uh i use it (laughs) once in a while right uh but when you are with that good friend when you're with your wife you submit that fear you submit that insecurity you submit that pride right they see the dirt they see when the makeup comes off if they're gonna help you when you're messy they're gonna get dirty there's a transfer there's a transfer of the dirt. There's a transfer of the mess. And so if you hate messes, if you complain about messes, if you hate the discomfort of a mess, you're probably not a good friend. You're actually probably a terrible friend, and you're probably not a very good spouse. Right? When a spouse should be the best friend, a spouse will get in there and say, wait a second, and then they actually, like, wipe off whatever was on your lip. You know, maybe even in your teeth. Right? When you're old, you can't take care of yourself. Who's gonna wipe you? Right? It's gonna be your spouse. They're gonna get in there. They're gonna get dirty. You see? That's investment. And I know it sounds crass, but it's true. They're gonna do that at every level, in every way. And a spouse is not only gonna do that, a spouse is gonna say, I want that. That's the beauty of marriage. It's amazing. Do you deserve that kind of love? I after nine years, I definitely am convinced that I deserve nothing even close to that kind of love. Right? We don't deserve that. Right? The second thing uh, about a friendship is there's presence. So there's access, but there's presence. That means that in the midst of your mood swings, your depression, through your failure, times when you're scared and anxious and you become a different person uh, because of that, times when you're rude and critical and impatient. On one hand, it helps to have somebody validate that you're growing any type of change that you're going through. On the other hand, a spouse can say things to buff it so that you don't give yourself too much credit, right? A spouse is going to say things that are going to comfort you on one hand, but also challenge you and help you on the other hand. I'm going to rattle these off, okay? Third, Friends are consistent. They're always there. Jesus Christ says, Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. That means I'm going to be present with you and I'm going to be consistent with you. Always there on the phone, online, text, in person. They're constant. They're consistent. There's a specific type of discipline between the best of friends that exists. There's a certain type of discipline that starts to develop between friends who are the best of friends. Fourthly, friends are at their best when they do all these things and they're gentle. Cleansing with water through the word. You know, when you're cleaning, you have to be gentle or else what happens? Not only do you lose your dirt, you lose your skin, right? That's what happens. So you're actually literally throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? So if if you clean too hard you start to lose yourself. You see what happens? To deal with someone else's sins, to cleanse another person's sins, you have to point out their sins. You have to admit your own sins. You have to be accountable for your sins and hold other people accountable to their sins. You need to be firm, right? But if you have the access, if to the degree that you have the access, you can be firm. If you refuse to do it altogether, listen, that's, we don't go there, right? You've lost vision. You are actually depriving that person of the growth that they need that will burst them into an eternal joy, a greater joy. Fifth, friends are honest with you. They're honest with you. They're honest about you. I'm just going to leave it at that, right? Sixth, lastly, friends are vulnerable. They go deeper. They let a person get so close and has so much access that it actually can't hurt them. That's what friends do, right? But they trust you that you are cleansing them, you see? That's a friend. Inherent in friendship, the layers start to peel off until what happens? You know, you get close enough with a friend, you get so close that there's a legal commitment. And the layers, there are no more layers. You're naked, you see? And in marriage, because it's the ultimate friendship, because it's the best friendship, Physical nakedness always follows all the other types of vulnerabilities, all the other types of commitments, all the other types of nakedness. Because to be naked means I'm totally vulnerable to you. Now you see everything. I can't hide a single thing from you, and I won't hide a single thing from you if you're not using each other to fill some sort of a void and you're not exploiting each other because you're looking for that kind of completion that you have in a marriage without the commitment, the legal commitment of a marriage, then it becomes safer to open up yourself emotionally, financially, socially, all your hurts, all your joys, you see, until one day there's this desire to make yourself so vulnerable that you make yourself legally vulnerable. A legal contract in the day a business contract, you would literally take these animals, split them in half, put them on the sides of the road. You would split them from head to toe. That's what a covenant is. And you would walk through reciting the terms of your commitment. Because what you're really saying to that person is, if I don't live up legally to my end of the bargain, may this happen to me. You are opening yourself up to a legal vulnerability that will be devastating to your life. Meaning that if I don't live up to my commitment, may I be split in half. May my life end. May I be torn to shreds, torn to pieces. If your friend, the ultimate friend, is willing to make that kind of commitment, they have made themselves naked in every way. What follows after that is a physical union, a physical oneness, a physical nakedness. I hope that makes sense. Paul says friends cleanse each other. But friends also feed each other, care for each other. In other words, they don't just clean you to make you holy. They clean you and they build you up. It's what makes a friendship joyful. Not just because you're being cleansed, but because you're becoming stronger because they're in your lives. On one hand, verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives wives, as Christ loved the church. Verse 29, the husband will feed and care for the wife as Christ does the church. He compares the ideal marriage to a relationship between Jesus and his church. So he's saying on one hand, yes, Jesus is going to shape you. Yes, Jesus is going to move you. Yes, Jesus is going to challenge you. But on the other other hand, Jesus is going to adore you. He adores his bride. He nourishes his bride. He holds his bride as precious in his life. Look, if your best friend, if your spouse says, you're broken, you need to change. First of all, that's a good friend. That's a very good friend. We we need more friends like that. If your friend says that to you, that's very shaping. To the degree that they're close to you, it's going to shape you. Lots of power there. It's going to motivate you to change. In some cases, you're going to love to be motivated to change. You're going to love to change because you know it's true. On the other hand, the whole world may mock you. The whole world may insult you, want you ruined, right? But if your friend, if your best friend, and especially your spouse says, who cares about what they say? You are perfect. I adore you. I love you. You are radiant, and I see your future glory. And you know because they are your best friend. You know because they are your spouse. They've signed their lives away for you. You know they mean it. Because they don't have to say it. You're legally bound to stay together. They don't have to say it. But if they say it, you know. You know, whenever you hear that, there's a certain type of power to it. When you hear, when a, s- a child, and we're going to go into parenting at some point uh, after the series— But when a child hears that from his father, when a child hears that from his mother, when a spouse, a wife hears that from her husband, when a husband hears that from his wife, wives and husbands, we need to do this more, you see? You don't need to do it less, you need to do it more, and you need to root it in the cleansing aspect of it, you need to root that with the feeding aspect of it. And if you're feeding the person and nourishing and and cherishing them, you got to root that with the cleansing aspect of it, you see? they go hand in hand. You can't have one. You got to be both. That's what makes a solid marriage, right? When you're doing that, it has a way of completely reversing all the bad things that you were told growing up in life. All of us, all of us have that. We have things that we've picked up in our lives that are just devastating to us, and we inherently believe them to be true because the people that have the ultimate access, our parents, have been saying to us all our lives. And so you almost hear their voice when you fail. You hear their voice when, you're, when you make a mistake. In your guilt, it's almost like it's their voice. Right? When you make a decision and it was the wrong decision, you know, it's their voice you hear. Or maybe it's somebody that you just love so deeply, but they've been so critical of you and it beats you up And that continues to ring in you. It sits in you. You could have a great season, and all of a sudden, that one thing that was said years ago will come back. To hear someone who loves you with great sacrifice, ultimately loves you, say to you, but I think you're perfect. You're going to be perfect. You are radiant, and I will never leave you. That has a way of reversing that curse. It does. It has a magical ability to do that. It does. And so, uh, you know, all those bad things that have been passed on to you throughout life, this has a way of resetting you. This has a way of resetting your heart, resetting your mind, and it shapes you, and it changes you. And as a result, you become more confident, and you become more humble, and you become more joyful. Why is that important? You know, you are called. This is, I know I'm jumping back and forth between marriage and friendship. But all of us here are friends to somebody. You have that power. You are called. If you have a good friend in your life, you are called to have that power to help reverse those curses in their lives. If you're cursed, if you're broken, just ripped apart, you can be the one to bless them and heal them and mend them. And By the way, it's also why we're so desperate to look for a spouse. You know, in Genesis, you have uh, this amazing character named Jacob, And Jacob was a cheater. In fact, his name actually means liar, right? And so he was no good all his life. All his life, no good. That's all he heard all his life. But then he meets Rachel, and Rachel is beautiful. And he just needs Rachel's love because Rachel is utterly beautiful. And Jacob is thinking, Jacob is believing, if I can just have Rachel's love, I know I'm going to be okay. It's going to undo the curse of my life, you see? And that's why of all the things that he lied and cheated for, Rachel, he earned honestly. He got cheated, you see. It's also why our our spouses disappoint us so much. Because we need somebody to tell us, you're beautiful. You can't validate yourself. And so when you don't receive that, it's so disappointing. When you don't hear that enough, it's so disappointing. So how do you do it? How do you become it? How do you, where's the power uh, that we get from that, to to do that? Jesus Christ says this, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You want to see a picture of the ultimate friendship? You knew we were going to head there at least, right? Jesus Christ is a friend. I want to show you how he's a friend. Jesus Christ sacrifices for you. Jesus Christ is selfless. you down to the end he gets on his knees and he gets dirty with the disciples feet and this is just before he goes to the cross and cleanses them all together whole makes them whole jesus christ serves them never exploits them never needy always healing always wanting to complete people he sees a man who's been lame all his life and he says walk he completes them he sees a blind man who's designed to see and yet he can't see he says, open your eyes. He sees a mute man and says, I want you to talk. He says, a person who's leprous. He comes up to this leper. He touches him. He didn't have to touch him, right? He touches him. What's he doing? He's cleansing him, healing him, and he's, what he needed was a touch. Probably hadn't been touched in years, you see. So present, always present so loving, always loving, so gracious, always gracious, always befriending, always consistent. Look at the gentleness of Jesus. On one hand, he says, no one has condemned you. On the other hand, he says, now go, leave your life of sin. So on one hand, he's always cleansing. On the other hand, he says, I'm letting you go. You're free, you see. Look at the beauty of Jesus the honesty of Jesus, always truthful. He says, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. To come to know him and to be known by him makes you mature. The book of 1 John says, just the desire to want to know him will start to make you mature. So there's a cleansing. But look at the commitment of Jesus, always feeding you, always nourishing you, not having a single thing to gain from us, and yet he cares for us, affirms us. He says, I am the good shepherd. Peter betrays him in John chapter 21. Jesus' question to Peter was not, why did you do it? After everything I've done for you, why did you do it? That's not what he asks. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I do. Jesus says, go, feed my sheep. In other words, I trust you, Peter. This is what I came for. I'm entrusting them to you. I trust you. To hear that uh, affirmation, to hear that, it's power. It changed Peter's life. Peter's running away, nowhere to be found when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was dying on the cross. And yet, once he heard the cleansing and the feeding, Acts chapter (laughs) 2, a few chapters later, Peter's out there on the streets preaching the gospel. What would change these disciples and their lives so drastically what did they experience that was so real that it would shape and change their lives like that? Psalm chapter 2 says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench until it brings forth judgment to victory. The psalmist is talking about Jesus, that when he comes into your life and confronts you, you, even though he does that, you will never break. He will feed you and care for you, the shepherd of your soul, He says, I am the good shepherd, and a good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep, and he did. He did it. On the cross, Jesus Christ looks to the Father, the most intimate relationship that he could ever have. It's the relationship to which all friendships point. It's the relationship to all marriages point to, the perfect relationship, the perfect union, Father and Son and Spirit. And yet on the cross, he says, my God, my God, you've forsaken me. You've left me. You've abandoned me. Now I'm in the one in need. I'm broken. And because the Father has lost me, whereas before I was complete, for your sakes, I've become incomplete. Now Father is not present. I've become sin. I'm in the mess. I'm dirty. And the Father has been absent from me. The wrath of God is pouring out on me and I'm messy. The excrement of sin is on me and there's no one to cleanse me, no one to wipe this away from me. I am alone, and I'm disgusting, and no one is present, not even my friends, to help me. No one to affirm me, no one to uphold me, and the Father did affirm the Son. The Father did affirm the Son. This is my Son, whom I love, and yet on the cross, the Father stayed silent. Jesus Christ on the cross says, I'm experiencing the curse of sin, the curse of the mess. Everything that we've ever heard that was bad, everything that we've ever done that's true was placed on Jesus on the cross. And he says, it's ripping me apart, and I've lost the Father so that you could be blessed, so that you could be healed. I've lost access so that you could have the access. I've lost the presence of God so that you could have the presence of God. I've lost the gentleness of God, the love of God, so that he could be gentle with you. I'm thirsting on the cross. He says, I thirst. Why? So that you would have an abundance of the fountain of life in you. On the cross, Jesus Christ was stripped naked, vulnerable, not a single piece of clothing to shield himself from the wrath of God that would be poured out on him. He was bruised and broken for you. That makes him the best friend. That makes him the best friend. That makes him our perfect bridegroom. Pride and Prejudice, my favorite book, Darcy at the End, says what? Surely you must know it was all for you. Surely you must know it was all for you. Jesus Christ lays down his life and becomes the perfect bridegroom for us. And so the cross, his blood poured out, becomes our cleansing. And so the cross becomes our affirmation. Jesus Christ, marred on the cross, says, you are beautiful. I endured the cross and that is my joy To serve you. He actually, it actually says that. Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. I'll take the shame. I'll take the punishment. I'll take the wrath to see you advance. That is my joy. Look at the love of Jesus. Well, it's time to close. We got six more weeks. If you're single, look at the beauty of Jesus. Don't overlook the importance then of gospel character. They don't have the gospel. How can we commit like this? You're just being exploited of your gospel character, you see. It's not intentional, it's just design. Be a good friend, but be careful not to look for completion A completion that you will only find in your spouse. Maybe that person is becoming that best friend. Couples, you got to cleanse each other. But some of you are good at cleansing each other. You got to feed each other. You got to nourish each other. You need both. Don't just affirm. You got to challenge. Don't just challenge. You got to adore. Become a friend. Be the best friend. It's very important. In an Asian community, predominantly like this, the husband way of loving is to provide. You see, allow me to cleanse you a little bit. You gotta affirm. You gotta love. You gotta be a friend. You gotta cleanse. You gotta speak. You gotta talk. You gotta cleanse you got to feed, okay? you got to be that friend to one another, everyone. If you do that in the church, an entire community can change, you see? If you don't have or nor have experienced that gospel entering in, it's an opportunity. Every week at church is an opportunity, you know? And uh, I wish I could tell you another story. I'm so tempted to, but i got to end this sermon, so I'm going to end it now, okay? Be that friend to one another and be that friend as a spouse to one another. Will you do that? Let's pray.